my sweet friends. I feel so fortunate that you're joining me for season two of the Failing Awesomely podcast. My hope is that you can find encouragement while listening to my personal stories of overcoming life's obstacles, whether you're chasing big dreams or just trying to make it through the day as a mama of little ones. I'm excited to bring my friends along to inspire you with their stories as well. Let's empower one another to stop selling ourselves short, stop the negative self-talk, and focus on what makes us awesome, because we all are. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and it's time we start believing that. Welcome, welcome back, sweet friends, to the Failing Awesomely podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Garcia, and I have been MIA. (laughs) So if this is your first time listening, I'm so happy you're here. For those of you who've been tuning in for a while now, I apologize for my inconsistency. I had major surgery, which most of you know, back in April, and I just decided to take a break, focus on my healing, on my family, and other things. I think it's so important and healthy to realize and act on needing to back off certain things instead of pushing through sometimes. There's a time to do that, definitely. And there's a time to step back. But I am pumped to be back and super excited to introduce you to our guest, Jen Percolosi, to the show today. Jen is a beautiful soul who just celebrated four years sober. Congrats, Jen. She is a business owner, wife, and mama to two boys just like me. She shares her story today on the episode. She shares the lessons she's learned through sobriety. And together, we discuss the signs that you want to look out for if you're questioning your relationship with alcohol. So it's a really, really great episode. I'm so ready to share this with you. Please welcome to the show, Jen. Say what you want, all I hear is So Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show, everybody. You are listening to one of my friends from many years ago, Jennifer Percolosi. She used to be Jennifer Negi when we worked together. We used to live and work in Nashville, Tennessee at... I'm, I'm going to tell them, Jen. I'm going to tell them where we I work. I think they need to know. Okay. We worked at Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago when it was a cool place to be. When it was so cool. And you were a manager. I so was. You were important. <laughs> I wouldn't go there, but. <laughs> but is do you know what is so funny is I still remember how we were working together in Nashville and you ended up getting transferred to here, my hometown, yes. Lancaster, yes. Pennsylvania, to manage that store, which I thought was wild. I'm like, here we are in Nashville, Tennessee. And of all places, Jen gets transferred to my hometown. How long were you there? I was there here. for two years. And the funniest part about it is that I had a fear of Amish people. And it's like the Amish capital of the world. (laughs) Of all things. You had a fear of the Amish? Yes. Please elaborate. Oh my gosh. Just because they were so different, they just terrified me for some reason. And my mom, I remember her 
like dying laughing when I was like, this is where I'm going. And she looked it up and she's like, do you know that that's like the Amish place to be? And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. That's where I'm going. Jen, how did you survive two years here? Oh, I think I just stayed in my house. Oh my gosh. Isn't that funny? I, I honestly thought you were here like six months. I had no idea it was two whole years. Yeah, it was a while. And then where did you go after that? And then I moved home. Okay, then you moved home. All right. So how long were you in Nashville? I was in Nashville for about two years. Okay. All right. And then I moved out to Pennsylvania for about two years. And then I ended up coming back home. Gosh. And for everybody listening, where, where do you live now? Home is Upper Michigan, Iron Mountain, Michigan. Yeah. I'm almost Canadian. If you think I'm from Canada, I do have a little A in me now. <laughs> you're almost right if you think you're from Canada. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Jen, I wanted to have you on here to further the conversation that I have started talking about to one with one of my girlfriends. I call her Minnie. Her name's Amanda. We've been talking about mommy wine culture, alcohol abuse, alcoholism, sobriety, um, all of that. And I wanted to continue the conversation because one, I think it's very important. And two, it has resonated like crazy with my listeners. And I wanted to bring you on because you just recently towards the end of May celebrated four years of sobriety, which Yes, for your sober. Yes, congratulations. Thank so I, you. of course, you're welcome. I want you to share with us your story of your, your struggle with alcohol, your relationship with alcohol, and then ultimately what led you down the road to sobriety. You know, I started drinking at a young age. I started drinking in high school. Like I feel most kids do. They dabble and alcohol. Um, I had never done any drugs. I (laughs) smoked marijuana for my first time in college and had a horrible allergic reaction and ended up at the hospital and had to call my parents. So I, you know, I had drank, but I don't think I was like out of control. I was just a normal drinker. And I had gotten married after I moved back to Michigan from Pennsylvania. And um, around the time of my divorce is when the wheels really started to fall off. My drinking increased, you know, but not to the point where I was an everyday drinker. I just noticed I was drinking more when I did drink. And it's funny because I moved to Minnesota after my divorce thinking new place, new people, I'm going to move away. And I found myself really isolated out there. I was older, so it was hard to meet people. And that's when my drinking really started to take off was when I was in that isolation. And it went from, you know, a few here and there to every night after work and that every night after work really snowballed. I ended up moving home because my parents felt like, you know, it would be better for me to be home and around family. But unfortunately it was just, it was too late. And I was home for about a year and a half before I went to rehab. And 
I was drinking over a case of beer a day. Oh my goodness. 30 some beers a day I was drinking at my max. And I remember one day because it had gotten to the point where I had to drink in the morning on my way to work. I had to drink on my lunch hour. Uh, If I didn't, I was so shaky. I felt so sick. Um, It was just, it was so crazy to me. And I remember one day pulling over and like, just starting to cry on my lunch hour because I didn't want to drink, but I had to drink. Mm. And that was really scary to me. And in my time of drinking too, I had gotten a DUI and I was very sassy to the police officer. Very. He told me I was the worst person he had ever arrested. Oh my God. I busted out of my handcuffs. I stole my cell phone, like things I would never do sober I totally did. And they put me in my own cell because I was that sassy. So, but I remember him saying to me, do you think you have a problem? Like, and I was like, yes, I know I have a problem, but I, I don't know what to do about my problem because I thought that people who went to rehab were losers or like druggies or, you know, just these, like in my mind, I thought that these awful people went to rehab and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't fit in there. And man, was I wrong. Could not be more wrong about that. Yeah. It was crazy. I actually have heard recently from a friend of mine who was kind of sharing with me, her husband is a doctor and he has been to rehab. And she said, Mm -hmm. you don't know how many doctors, nurses, lawyers, you know, all these people who you would, who you would think could keep it together, have substance abuse issues and have gone to rehab. Yes. (laughs) Isn't that when I got there and met everyone I was there with, they were like business owners, lawyers, doctors, these super super successful people who like one woman worked for the government and did like nuclear bomb stuff. She was so intelligent. It just like blew my mind. Like these people who had so much success and they were there with me. And I just remember being like, wow, I, I had it all wrong. Yeah, I had it all wrong. Cause what I learned there was this is a disease and it does not discriminate. Definitely not. Absolutely. Now, what got you to the place of saying, okay, rehab, I'm, I'm going to go. This is, this is what I got to do. You know, what's funny is I was dating my husband at the time and he had no idea, none, because he had never known me um, sober. And I was such a high functioning alcoholic. Like I made it to work every day. I did awesome at my job. I, my house was clean. Everything was taken care of. Like I was so high functioning that the only people who really knew were my immediate family because they knew me sober and they knew when I was drunk. And so he had no idea. So I'll never forget it. One day my sister came over to my house and was like, okay, we're going to tell Jake today. And I'm like, tell him what? And she's like, that you're drunk. And I go, no, we aren't. I'm not drunk. I'm fine. She's like, Jennifer, how many beers have you drank today? 
And she's like, you have an option. Either you go to rehab or we're all done with you. Wow. So my family gave me an ultimatum. And, you know, I would have lost my job. I work for my dad. I would have lost my job. I would have lost my house. I would have lost my relationship. I would have lost my family. I had so much to lose. I still didn't think I had a problem. I mm. really didn't because I only drank beer. I, if you would have given me vodka, I wouldn't have touched it. Wow. Like I only drank beer. And um, so I decided, yep okay, I'll go, I'll go to dry out. And when I come back, I'll be able to drink again. Hmm. I just need to dry out a little bit. And it's funny because I got there and I realized that no, no, it's, it's not a drying out period. I have quite the problem. Wow. You do not. I mean, I had beer hit all over my house. I had it in the back wheel well of my car. I took out my spare tire to put beer in there. Wow. Yeah. I had it like hidden in all these places and it's insanity. When people say it's insanity, it truly is because it's stuff that I would never do sober that I would like, I would drink and drive all the time, which I hate to admit because it's so awful, but just things like that, that I would never do in a right mind I was doing. And I am just so lucky that I didn't hurt myself or hurt somebody else. I mean, I'm just so, so grateful. Yes. It is. It's insanity. I think it's so important to admit that because there's so many people that you don't know if they're going to hear your story and go, man, like she hit it too. She didn't think she had a problem either. And they're going to reevaluate their drinking and what they're doing. And you don't know how many times I've heard, and I thought myself, somebody who is an alcoholic drinks a fifth of Jack every night. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't drink hard liquor every night. I have a few glasses of wine every night. Like, what's that? That's not a big deal. And for me, this, this is when I knew I had a problem. I would tell myself because I did not drink an entire bottle of wine every night, I didn't have a problem. I drank almost an entire bottle of wine, but I would, I would never allow myself to drink a full bottle. And that, that was my, that was mentally what I told myself to, to regress the, the thoughts of like, am I drinking too much? You know? I, yep. I just would say no. And an alcoholic would be drinking a bottle of or more of wine or night a, a night or a fifth of vodka or, you know, hard stuff every night. That's what an alcoholic is. And it's not having a drinking problem can be from people um, who don't even really drink that much. But when they do, they drink in excess. I remember I read an article recently of a man who was talking about the fact that he has a problem with alcohol and he became sober. And when he told his friends and family, I don't drink anymore. I have a problem with it. They were all like, what are you talking about? You barely drink. You only drink on certain special occasions. And he said, listen, I do because I know every time I do drink, I black out. 
Like I don't, I don't drink to quit it too. I drink to go full out blackout. And that's why whenever that happens, I wait like two, three months before I drink again, because I know it's a problem. It, that's so crazy because my friends too, when I told them I was going, they were like, you don't have a problem. You hardly drink when you come out with us. And I'm like, because I'm either lit from my prior drinking so that I can have my social anxiety under wraps, which that was a huge part of it for me was my anxiety to try and ease it. But really it was amping it up the whole time. And, you know, I I wouldn't drink a lot when I was out with them because I didn't want anyone to know I drank by myself. I didn't drink in public because I didn't want people to know. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about that social anxiety? Cause I know that's a huge struggle for people. Oh my gosh. I actually was diagnosed with anxiety and ADHD when I was young. So I had been on Adderall for like years mm-hmm. and that actually was a big part of my problem is I didn't realize till I got to rehab, but I was addicted to Adderall which crazy because it's prescribed for you. And I was taking my prescribed amount, but it was harder for me to get off the Adderall than it was for me to kick alcohol. Wow. Which is insane. And, um, and that Adderall would just get me so amped up that I'd need something to calm me down. So I would drink to help, you know, calm down my anxiety And it would just amp it up. And I've had social anxiety all of my life, you know, going out with people, seeing friends. I just get so overwhelmed and anxious. And I needed to learn different coping mechanisms to deal with that. And I'm so grateful for rehab and the therapists there because they taught me just so much. What are some of the healthy coping mechanisms that you do now? Now, deep breaths, like they taught me about deep breathing. Um, I really would get in my head about like, oh my God, what's she going to ask me? What if she asked me this? What, you know, like you build it up and you're having these fake conversations with yourself and getting so overwhelmed that I really had to like learn how to stop that negative self-talk and just be like, no, done, done, move, just let it alone. What's going to happen is going to happen. It's going to be okay. You can answer it on the spot. And something that it's so funny because you drink to gain confidence, but I have gained so much more confidence being sober and just learning to be comfortable with myself. I mean, I still see a therapist. That's I awesome. love my therapist. There's nothing wrong with seeing a therapist. <laughs> Amen. No, there is not. <laughs> That's wonderful. Jen, I wanted to, while I have you here on the podcast, I wanted to share an article that I have read recently. It's uh, by bannerhealth.com. The the author, the writer is Regan Olson. They interviewed Dr. Saren Morong about the warning signs of alcohol abuse and the questions that you should ask yourself if you think you might be developing a problem, basically like a self-check. 
And this is something that I, I wanted to include in this episode. I wanted to talk about because it's something that I haven't talked about yet, talking about the the warning signs, the, the, the things that you should really think about when it comes to your own drinking. If you are at all curious about sobriety, then I think you're already feeling like, am I drinking too much? You know, is my alcohol a little bit of a problem? I agree. If you're curious, there's probably an issue. Probably at least the start of one. Yes. So you want to get it in check beforehand. And I love this checklist. I want to go over each one with you and kind of have a discussion about it. Yes. Um, so we can kind of, we can kind of talk about our own personal experiences with it. So the first question that he says to ask yourself, and there are four total. Number one, do you obsessively think about alcohol or drugs in a way that is impacting your life. So for example, every day at work, are you counting down to five o'clock so you can have a drink? Or when you drop off the kids in the morning to school, are you thinking about the glass of wine that you're gonna allow yourself to have at lunch? Are you able to function during the day without alcohol? Or do you, even if you don't drink it, do you feel like you need one, you want one? Are you craving it? Do you have a craving for alcohol? And I think you were kind of talking about that with. Yes. I totally would be like, okay, when can I have a drink? Is it five o'clock yet? Oh, it's five o'clock somewhere. You know, we're going on a trip this weekend. Okay. I can drink on that trip. It's going to be so much fun. Looking forward to that. Oh, we're going to dinner. I'm going to have a drink at dinner or making up excuses to meet up with my friends. Like I was always the party planner. Why was I always the party planner? Because I always wanted to party. Yes. (laughs) Yes. For me, I remember always feeling like, oh, like going out to eat or going on a vacation was my excuse to just let loose, do whatever I wanted to do. I mean, if David and I were going on a trip and we had a 6 a.m. flight, you better believe we were getting screwdrivers on the flight because we were on vacation, because it's acceptable to drink a mimosa or a screwdriver or heck anything at 6 a.m. because you're going on vacation. This is a trip. And nobody, I mean, maybe some people bat an eye, but if they know you're going on vacation, especially someone on an airline, they're like, okay, like party on, you know, you do you, you do your thing. Nobody really bats an eye. And that's, that's how it was for me. And, and when, as a mom, I would always feel like, okay, if I just get to this certain point in the day, if I get too overwhelmed, I can have a glass of wine to calm me down. You know what I mean? And I know that you got sober before you had kids, which I think is fantastic because your boys are never going to have had a mom who had to depend on alcohol to cope with raising them, which is something that I hope my kids don't remember, but I have to live with, and I'm letting go of the guilt because my kids have had a completely sober mom. They've had a completely sober mom, sober mom for almost six months, but I didn't even really drank all of last year because of my breast cancer diagnosis. Yes. So 
I had surgeries, treatments, so I didn't drink during any of that time. So I've been, I've been there, there more sober mom for a year and a half now, which I'm very thankful for. That's amazing. It, yes, it is. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I feel like no matter when it is, when you make the change, you make the change and you have to stick with that and move forward. But for me, there's this guilt in the back of my head of knowing like my poor two-year-old son who wasn't at all a problem. You know what I mean? Like he was not that hard to handle, but I would, he he was too. And they need you for every little thing. And I would just be like, man, if I can just make it to dinner time, then I will allow myself to have a glass of wine while we're eating dinner or while I'm even cooking dinner for him and me. And my husband's gone a lot. He, he works for an airline. So he's away a lot. So a lot of this I was doing by myself and it just can be very, and I, just like what you said about moving to Minnesota, I, I felt at the start of motherhood, very isolated, very alone. And this little person was depending on me and you love your kids so much, but it's not easy parenting. It's not easy taking care of, of, of little ones, even when they have your whole heart. And I used wine to relax and cope with the stresses of even just sometimes it wasn't even that my child was putting stress on me. It was more, am I doing a good enough job? And you would think that you wouldn't turn to alcohol to do a better job, but I was turning to alcohol to calm my butt down Mm -hmm. from feeling so overwhelmed with everything. So I definitely was in, in that, uh, question number one, that definitely applied to me as I know it applied to you. Number two, the other question you have to ask yourself is when you start drinking, is it difficult for you to stop? Great question. Definitely for me, that is my problem. I have actually not really had a very hard time with sobriety. It hasn't, it has not been difficult for me. There have been two times that I have wanted a drink. And one of those times was for a happy reason. It just was so nice. And it was a beautiful spring day. My husband just built this up. Well, he didn't build it. We got it from Costco and he put it together. This big, um, what do you call it? Gazebo in our, on our back porch. And it's gorgeous. It was a gorgeous night. I'm like, man, I would love Pinot Grigio right now. Like I just want like a glass of Pinot on this beautiful porch. Ah, that would be amazing and refreshing. Of course I didn't, but that was, that was the first time in like four or five months of sobriety that I wanted alcohol. And then, um, the second time was actually a couple days ago, (laughs) but (laughs) It was because I was super ticked. I had a I had a very stressful day at the cancer center, which I'm fine. It's not like cancer related. It's a I'm I'm on hormone therapy and they had to switch it. And it was just the treatment. Nobody told me what it entailed. And it's very 
it was just not what I was expecting. I'm going to get into that on another episode. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the details of that, but all I will tell you is it was, my anxiety was like on a level 11 out of 10 and I was ticked off. And on my way home, I'm like, this is really the, I feel like the first day that I actually want to go to a store and buy wine because I just want to calm down mm-hmm. and I, I want to calm down fast. Yes. So I don't know how, how did you feel with, were you that way where it was kind of like all or nothing, like you oh, could yeah. either not drink or once you started, you couldn't stop. One beer was never enough. Like I drank till I passed out. Mm. That was it. I, you know, and it's just so funny because I drank normally for what, like, I don't know, 15 years, you know, since I was 16 to four years ago, like I, the last two years were when the wheels fell off, but up until then I drank normally. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't need to drink every day. You know, it's, it's just so funny to me to think about how quickly it turned and into that. I needed one every day and it was never enough. And tell me too, you, I feel like you kind of did in telling your story, but did that creep up on you? Like, did it, Oh yeah. did you, did the, the wheels falling off creep up on you? Because I know it did for me where I yes. went from a few glasses of wine a week to a few glasses of wine a night. Yep low I mean it was kind it was kind of a slow process but then all of a sudden it was like I didn't even realize what had happened it totally crept up on me and it's so funny because when I in my first marriage um his brother was a struggling alcoholic and he went out to California for rehab and I went out there because they have something called a family program where you go you go you learn about how to support them in their sobriety, how to just be there for them. You learn about sobriety, you learn about triggers, you learn about so many things. And I met with his therapist and his therapist said to me, do you want to stay? And I go stay. And he's like, yeah, you're going to be here one day. And I laughed and I go, I don't have a drinking problem. And he's like, yeah, I think you do. And I, and it had never in a million years, Lindsay, I mean, and this is when I was drinking like maybe once a week, rarely at all, because we were supporting him. So I rarely drank, but he was like, one day you will be in these walls. I just see it in you. Wow. And I wish I had his name and number to call him and be like, Hey, guess what? You were right. (laughs) Did he call? Did he elaborate on that? Did he tell you like signs that he was seeing? You have, there's like a survey that they had you take about like your drinking, your family background, all this stuff, just so that they could go over it with you. And yeah, he was just like, yeah, you'll, you'll be here one day. And I was like, nah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'll see you there, buddy. 
<laughs> wow. That is wild. And this was like a few years before you went. This yourself. was like, yeah, this was like six years before I went. Okay. Wow. That is wild. Oh my goodness. Well, question number three is, do you find you need a drink to relieve and cope with stress or get you to relax for sleep? Which I think is what so many of us associate with it. That's why when we say the words like, oh, when can mama have a glass of wine? When can, you know, when you get off of work and you need that five o'clock beer or two or five, you know, even to sleep, which it's so funny because alcohol actually really disrupts sleep. But I think it, it, because it, it can help people get to sleep, people still use it for that purpose. Yes. But the getting to sleep is called passing out. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not good. (laughs) Which is not okay. That's never healthy. That's what I was doing. Yeah. So if you are, if a glass of wine for you or a beer or a whiskey or whatever your preference is, if that is something that you are associating to relaxation for a stressful day or a stressful job or stress in motherhood or to try to relax to fall asleep, that's not that's not good. No. I, I feel like... I I even hate to say the phrase healthy drinking because I've just, I know too much now. I know too much about the effects of alcohol on your health and on your body now that I hate to even use the phrase healthy drinking, but I feel like a somewhat healthy drinker um, and yeah, I'm I'm just going to say it that way, would be somebody who drinks on occasion one to two at a time during a a happy community like not by yourself like either with your spouse or with a friend catching up at dinner at a wedding maybe on vacation even at like someone's like backyard barbecue like cool but a festive fun you're not losing control. You can you can so easily stop at one or two. If that is your relationship with alcohol, then you you probably don't have a quote unquote problem. You know what I mean? But yes. I again, I struggle to say that just because once you know, yeah, you can't unknow. You can't unknow it. You know, it's, it's so crazy to me because I see friends and family and in my head, I'm like, Oh, Oh, you're walking a really dangerous line. Mm -hmm. You're going down a very dangerous path. But then again, that's not my place to step in, but just knowing what, you know, yes, you see those signs. Absolutely. Have you had to have any tough conversations with people in your life since becoming sober now that, like you said, you know what, you know, you've been through it. You've been to rehab, you've done the hard work and now you're four years sober. So has one, have you either had to step in or two have friends or family come to you to talk about their own issues? Actually, right after I got sober, my uncle 
went away to get sober, which I am so proud of him. I think he's like three years sober now. And, but it's a, it's a hereditary thing too. Mm -hmm. Alcoholism travels in your family. And, um, so I was really proud that he went away and got sober and I have had like hard conversations. My, um, sister who is my best friend, she, um, she kind of started escalating and drinking and I did talk with her about it and I was very honest and it was stress from work and she has since gotten a new job and I'm so excited for her, but it's stuff like that where you just see it and you see these warning signs and they're your family. You love them. So you want to say something before it, before they become you. Yes. Cause it is not, it is, it is hard to go away for that long. <laughs> I was gone for over six weeks. It is wow, hard. Yeah. It's a long time away. It is. So, I mean, it was so good for you and I'm sure you would never regret it and you would no. want somebody who needs it to go. But yes, it's, if you can stop somebody and help them to realize their problem before it gets to that point and when they need to go, yeah, why, why wouldn't you, you know, why wouldn't yeah. you be there for somebody in the, in the best way possible? So number four is have your friends or spouse criticize you, criticized you or joked about your alcohol consumption. Example, I've even overheard children commenting on their mom's mommy juice and how she has to have it every night, which my oldest did. Terrible. It was awful. Um, even though the comment may be innocent, that's a sign that someone's drinking may be out of control. If a friend is drinking a lot, I encourage you to ask them if they think they are drinking too much. Showing genuine concern can open a path to dialogue about what's going on in their lives. That's a doctor. That's a doctor Morong quote and an example. Um, yes, I, I, I will. I'll re I remember two things. One, my son asked me if I had wine in my cup, we, I didn't call it mommy juice. I said it was wine, but he asked me if I had wine in my cup one day and I'm like, no, honey, like I, I don't, but it just, the fact that it's stuck in my three, four year olds head that mom drinks wine is that wine was just, ugh, like I hated that. That was awful. And then, um, when my, when my, uh, in-laws came from Texas to Pennsylvania, they lived with us for a little bit. And actually my brother-in-law lived here at the house for two months longer than the family. Cause he moved up here first. He had a job. And then once they once they were more, more certain they were securing a house, they all moved up here and all lived. And, um, I forget what the, what was asked because my, uh, my sister-in-law was pregnant at the time. So she wasn't drinking, but something was asked about, is there wine in the house? And my brother-in-law made a joking comment. He said, he said, it doesn't last that long here. And he meant it as a funny, innocent comment. And I didn't 
necessary, not like he didn't mean it in an offensive way, even at all, but it stuck with me. And I thought, okay, so he's noticing I, I drink a lot. Like, obviously he thinks like wine comes and goes in this house and it's because of me. Like I'm the one consuming it. So that was very telling. And it still was another over. No, it was probably another like eight months until my diagnosis. So there was still a lot more drinking and wine, you know, wine drinking to be had from that point on. But I just remembered those those two things sticking with me. And I think it's so important to note that if your friends and family are making comments or jokes about your drinking, it might be funny, but it's also very telling. Oh, I was always the butt of everyone's jokes because I always got the drunkest and I always did or said something that was inappropriate or should not have been done or One time my sister and I went to a concert and we stopped at a gas station on our way home and I fell into like a whole aisle of candy and took it all out. (laughs) To this day, they still talk about it. Oh my goodness. So I was always like that girl, that party girl. And, you know, it's, it's not that fun to be that girl, to be the butt of everyone's jokes. It's, I mean you laugh about it, but deep down, I was like, I knew that there was an issue. We all knew that there was an issue. Yeah. Do you, is there anything that you struggle with still? I mean, I know once, you know, they say once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And I, I fully agree with that, but Is there, like, what are your struggles even now, four years later? Oh, my gosh. I still struggle every day with wanting to drink. Really? Every single day, I think about alcohol. Every day. Wow. And, I mean, it's one of those things, though, that I know I can't touch it. Because if I do touch it, there's no turning back. And people, when I was in rehab, said that the ones who had relapsed said it was 10 times worse to relapse. Oh, I bet. I bet. What are some of, what are some of the ways on a daily basis that you combat that? I mean, is it just, do you think, I know for me, I... I'm so proud of the fact that I don't drink that that alone sometimes can help me. And I will look to my kids or, or my family, but for you, for you personally, like when you have those thoughts or those cravings, like what gets you through to obviously continue to be sober? You know, I think big part of it. Sorry. I have like a frog in my throat. I'm totally fine. I think a big part of staying sober is my kids. Yeah. You know, I, I never want them to see me how I was when I went into rehab ever. 
I never want them to have that long. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a huge way to combat that for sure. And I also, you know, there's a book, there is an Alcoholics Anonymous book. Mm -hmm. I read from that every morning. Wow. That's awesome. I have, um, daily readings that I read that from books that I went to Hazelden, I was there for over six weeks and I took a lot of reading away from there. And I still read those like it's like daily reflections every morning, you know, and I still go to AA. You do. I do. I go once a week to AA. Unfortunately, where I live, we don't have a lot of meetings. Okay. And with COVID, it made it really hard. I'm sure. Because there were no meetings. So I go once a week and I'm just really blessed that my family is so supportive. That's awesome. And it's so funny because when I got home, I made a decision when I was at rehab to be very open and honest about this because I had such a misconception of who alcoholics and addicts were. I had such a misconception of who these people were, you know, where they came from. Oh, they must have this wrong or this wrong. No, they're all normal, beautiful, wonderful people who just unfortunately had a bump in their road, you know? So I really take pride in the fact that I am an alcoholic and I am in recovery because I think if someone can look at me and think, what, she's an alcoholic, maybe that will help them take that step to go there. Amen. You know, because it is scary. It's so scary to admit that you have a problem. It is terrifying to walk through those doors and feel so alone. And I'm going to be honest, detoxing is not fun (laughs) (laughs) at all. Um, And, you know, but if I can be that light that someone sees and is like, wait, she has it all together, you know? I mean, I own two businesses. I have two beautiful boys. I work full time, like, and I'm an alcoholic and beautiful things come in recovery. Absolutely. Beautiful things. I would never be where I was or where I am today if I was that person back then. Yeah. I'm so thankful that you are the person that you've become. And, um, you you are such a bright light and I love watching you. I love watching your stories. You are a, um, a, a bad, a boss babe. Now Um, (laughs) you have your own Monet business. You have all of these wonderful things going on. Please tell people where they can follow along to your story and learn more about you on socials and where we can find you. Yes, I am on Facebook, Jennifer Nagy Percolosi. Please friend me. I love getting friends. Um, I am on Instagram, Jen, J-E-N-N dot natural beauty biz. Um, And I, you know, one thing about Monet, which was a great thing for me was the community. 
because that's what I was missing when I came home from rehab because the community of women in our town that were alcoholics, just there wasn't really that. And I was missing it because in rehab, I had all these wonderful women surrounding me. So I encourage you, if you do not have a community or a family, I mean, find one, find one online. They don't have to be alcoholics. They just have to think you're the best thing since sliced bread and cheer you on every step of the way. (laughs) Absolutely. You know? (laughs) Yes. I love that. And I will link all of that in the show notes. I'll have everything right there for you. So you don't have to memorize how to spell Jen's name. You can just click on it and you can follow her. She is fantastic. And you're also one of the things that didn't we didn't talk about yet. And, and because we're talking about something so serious, we didn't really showcase it is you are hilarious. Oh. You are so entertaining and you don't have to be not like the life of the party entertaining, which I'm, I'm sure you were, but sober, you are so funny, so entertaining. I just love everything about you. You're fantastic. Yeah, if you want to watch a mom show, come and follow me. <laughs> that's what I got going on over here. You guys, I keep I it real. It. I love <laughs> it. Yes, she does. So give her a follow and, and get, get to know you more. Cause you're, you are, you're so open. You're so honest. You talk about your sprite. You talk about your business. You talk about your family and, I, I know just the other day you posted about having a difficult day and you were yes. like, but tomorrow's going to be better. And, you know, it was, I think it was difficulty in motherhood, maybe other things too, but always, <laughs> yeah. You know, we just have days where we think, oh, well, I just failed that day. My kids are just going to hate me and this is awful. But then you have to tell yourself, nope, you're just That's exactly. those days. Yeah. I was happy. <laughs> you're, but, but you're real about it. And um, I just love you. Thank you for being oh, on here. Thank and- you. I love you, girl. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for sharing your story and coming on. Yes. Thank you, hon. It was so good to see you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Failing Awesomely podcast. If you enjoyed the show, it would mean so much to me if you would leave me a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to follow Jen and continue on her journey through sobriety and in her business, I'll have her handle in the description notes for the show. I will also have a link to the BannerHealth.com article that we referenced. So definitely check that out there. I would also love to connect with you on Instagram and answer any questions you might have, whether it be about sobriety, about health, breast cancer, Jesus, whatever. I am an open book, so you can find me at Lindsay H. Garcia or at Failing Awesomely. And if you screenshot and share the episode, make sure to tag me so I can repost and thank you, sweet friend. Be well. Be awesome. Be awesome.